This is the Pain Information Network, 26. Welcome back. Uh, today, I'm going to dive into some more questions we've been getting. Go ahead to paininformation.com. Leave uh, some questions there, some feedback, some topics you want us to talk about, and please go to iTunes and rate us so we can uh, stay uh, ahead of the crowd and get this information out there. Um, it's a informational show. Uh, no advice is given. You should talk over with a qualified professional. Um, but we hope it's informative to the point where you're starting to kind of get a handle on your pain and starting to understand what pain is. Today we're going to talk about tramadol, and it's a scheduled drug now. That mean it's, it, it means it's a, a controlled substance that is uh, stepped up a little in the ladder. And we've talked about in the past uh, podcasts that controls by number does not necessarily mean potency. So a Schedule II drug is not necessarily more potent than a Schedule III. But uh, tramadol is a unique drug that uh, was introduced as essentially a non-scheduled pain medication. And it had a pretty good track record. Of course, it was developed in Germany. It's been around since the 70s. And it was used in Europe for quite a while before it was imported here. It was considered for mild to moderate pain. And it was uh, either as a standalone, uh, tramadol, uh, here trade named uh, Ultram, or it was uh, mixed with acetaminophen. So it came here, and we were using this drug a lot uh, in folks that uh, we wanted to emphasize minimal uh, opioid exposure because this this drug doesn't have the same potency as morphine. It's about one-tenth as potent as morphine, and it works in kind of a unique way. It uh, inhibits the reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine, but it also stimulates the mu opioid receptor. So it has multiple ways of working, and they tend to be synergistic. In other words, 1 plus 1 equals 3. So what we use this drug for is essentially uh, about the same as what we'd use uh, codeine with because they're about the same potency. And in other words, uh, it it just didn't seem like we need a big gun on some of these Uh, pain states, um, or sometimes in the elderly, but we wanted to treat their pain and avoid the downside with anti-inflammatory medicines. Anti-inflammatory medicine, or NSAIDs, do have pain relief characteristics, but they have a lot of baggage. And it appeared that tramadol really didn't have too much baggage. There was a risk uh, with seizure activity, particularly in those predisposed to seizures, because it inhibited uh, serotonin reuptake. And you could also get serotonin syndrome, which is a very anxious uh, feeling and uh, tachycardia, and it progresses on, uh, central nervous system changes and the like. But personally, I've never really had much trouble with tramadol outside of the folks that want to abuse it. I guess you could say everything is abusable even coffee. Um, So as it is, this drug turned into be an abused drug, and 
had its own set of risk in certain patient populations, so it became more controlled. So that's where we're at today with this drug. But it's a really good drug. Um, it's metabolized by the liver and kidneys, so watch it if you've got problems with liver and kidney. Talk that over with the doctor or healthcare provider. And we briefly touched on the cytochrome P450 system or the way we get rid of drugs through the liver. The cytochrome P450 system breaks down drugs, and it does through so through different pathways. Tramadol is primarily broken down by CYP2D6, and there's another pathway it's broken down to as well, the 3A system. But interestingly, Caucasians, uh, roughly 5 to 10% of those, are deficient in CYP2D6. Now, that's important because other drugs like hydrocodone are broken down as well to active drug. This uh, drug, uh, tramadol, has to be broken down to get more of an effect. Uh, that's odesmethyl tramadol, and that adds potency. So 5, per, 5 to 10% of uh, Caucasians just don't do this very well. So the drug is less potent, and about 2% of Asians. So that's a little sidebar, just so you know. And uh, healthcare providers should be aware that not everybody that says a drug doesn't work is trying to get another drug. For example, um, these deficient individuals might come into my office and say, my drug X doesn't work. I want Y, and that might be Percocet in lieu of hydrocodone or tramadol. That doesn't necessarily mean they're being sneaky or trying to seek. It might be true. So we gotta we got to look at these drugs with a broad mind and a wide-open understanding of Rule 4. Know thy drugs. So there was a problem with tramadol um, that was recognized over the past few years that there was an increasing uh, incidence of physical dependence, the seizures, um, and this serotonin syndrome. So we're, we're careful with this drug. Uh, and we have a little more appreciation for the fact that all these drugs have their issues. All right, the side effects. Well, just, just like about every drug in the PDR, somebody's going to have a headache or somebody's going to have nausea and vomiting. Uh, somebody's going to have constipation. I mean, we could go right down the list, um, pick your side effect. But in reality, the side effects are pretty modest. If this drug is used properly, the constipation is minimal, and um, the real problems we see with this drug are are not as uh, extensive as the hydrocodones, the oxycodones, or the morphines that we've talked about. So where it works, I told you it works at the mu opioid receptor, the mu opioid receptor, and it's an agonist. Now, the mu opioid receptor, if you're not really familiar with that, I'm throwing these terms around, is where uh, opioids work. That's the receptor that causes pinpoint pupils, so it can cause uh, euphoria, um, a lot of the side effects, and some of the desirable side effects like pain relief. Serotonin re reuptake in inhibition is real, but it also um, can release serotonin. So you can bump up the serotonin pretty quickly with this drug in susceptible individuals. But a good thing 
is this is a NMDA receptor antagonist. What is that? N-methyl aspartate. Well, that's kind of desirable um, because for folks with uh, neuropathic pain, um, that could actually make this drug work a little better. Uh, neuropathic pain will be talked about in a little bit in our Q&A, but it's resistant to a lot of medications. And NMDA receptor antagonists help. All right, so then there's uh, the concept of norepinephrine receptor uh, reuptake inhibitors. Um, that helps with analgesia, analgesia in the central nervous system. That takes us to some of our questions. All right, so the neurobiology of pain. Whoa, do I want to talk about that? I do, because um, we're getting smarter. And uh, when we can intelligently make decisions based on a knowledge base, uh, we can actually even come armed with the proper questions to the healthcare provider. And collaboratively, you can go down the pathway to the best possible outcome. All right, so what happens to addicts? That's a, that's a question I get asked. Why do some people become addicts? Well, a lot of reasons. It could be genetic. It could be exposure to the drug for whatever reason, and it could be a prolonged exposure where it had to be. Now you're hooked. That might not be an addict. That might be somebody that's physically dependent because dependency is not addiction. But some people use the drug to their own harm, whatever the drug may be. It might be coffee, like I said. <laughs> you know, some people can't abruptly discontinue coffee because they've been drinking it for so long. It's such high levels. They get a lot of agitation, anxiousness, and, and this kind of mini withdrawal. They, they get irritable. Well, when you talk about opioids and that activation at the mu opioid receptor, you uh, can, over time, develop uh, dependence and this other concept tolerance. Now, what happens to an addict is in the primitive part of the brain, they get a reward. Um, it's at the mesolimbic reward system. It's a very primitive part of the brain, but it's driven by dopamine. And different centers in the brain are stimulated that make folks uh, feel feel better. Now, that doesn't necessarily make them feel like they're high, but they feel better. Because as this concept of tolerance uh, turns its head, the amount of drug needed to obtain the same effect is pushed down the line a little further. you got to have a little more drug to get the desired effect. Those that are either uh, habituated or dependent or even the addict, they'll tell you one thing. The first high was probably the best high. And they were starting to take a little bit more and more to try to chase that high or that feeling. And I'm going to say feeling because this is important. If somebody's taking a drug for a long period of time, they develop tolerance. When they need their next dose or the drug starts wearing off or the drug was changed and it just doesn't seem to work as well, they start feeling kind of funky. That's not necessarily withdrawal, but they get this hedonic tone. They get kind of this uh, 
I don't, I don't feel right. I don't like this feeling. I need my drug. That probably is a switch that starts folks uh, to the pathway of potential addiction. So what happens is the drug reinforces its effect, but you have to use a different level of drug over time. That's why you don't abruptly discontinue these drugs, particularly benzodiazepines. That's another topic. But opioids, you don't abruptly discontinue them because you'll go into withdrawal. You have developed a tolerance and a dependence, and you start to go into this flu-like symptom, and you feel crummy, and uh, it doesn't take much further than a YouTube video to see what some of these uh, people go through. We can treat that, okay? But what's the holy grail of addiction? It's to stop this reward-driven mechanism. And it probably will be done at the dopamine receptor. There are some drugs in development that are working there. There's different types of dopamine receptors or, or little homes where the dopamine molecule goes. And there's different types of dopamine molecules, 1, 2, and 3, etc. And it seems that 2 and 3 have different relationships in this mesolimbic reward system that either drives or we can modify addiction. We'll, we'll expand on that later. What the addict wants to do, or those that are dependent on a drug, is they want to avoid that hedonic state. So they don't always get a high, but they feel better when they take the drug. So the take-home message here is addiction and dependency are not a moral failure. They're neurobiological mechanisms that are real. It isn't necessarily somebody that wanted to be there. Just think of somebody that uh, was in a horrific injury, had a horrific injury or in an accident, and they had a long um, and rather uh, contrived um, recovery period, and they were exposed to opioids. They're dependent, but, you know, anything can happen. They can also go on to addiction, but... We have a way of handling that. This is not a moral failure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this point really clear. And I, I talked this over with my uh, folks on the addiction side of my practice, uh, especially people that are using heroin. Heroin use has exploded. The new face of heroin is probably sitting next to you more than you realize. You know, There's a lot more high school, college, even younger, uh, kids using it. There's uh, a lot more older people using it. The reason it's probably taken off is these opioids that they were used to getting on the street are harder to get get their hands on now. There's more controls in place. There's technology, as we talked about, the intact technology uh, that uh, doesn't allow them to snort it or to inject it. It's just different out there now. But there's a ready, available source of heroin on the street, and it's cheap. It's also, it's not your uh, father's heroin, um, so to speak. It's potent. This stuff uh, coming coming out of Mexico and the world, um, some black tar and such, um, is very potent. And they are now starting to mix it with drugs called uh, well, for example, fentanyl. 
um, they're cutting it with these very potent opioids. And fentanyl is 100 times more potent than morphine. And if it's being manufactured or mixed illicitly, you don't know what you're getting in there. I tell my folks, if you think you're going to relapse and you are going out there and getting your heroin, um, listen to me. (laughs) Call us, go to the ER, whatever you can to avoid getting your heroin because you don't know what you're getting, number one. And number two, if you've been clean for a while... um, and we see this with uh, inmates recently released from jail, you're going to go back and you're going to order up your last dose of heroin that you recall, and you're going to inject that. But you have no tolerance. You have not developed the tolerance you need to get back to that dose because, as we were just talking about, you um, have you've withdrawn yourself from the opioid, you've gotten kind of back to normal. You don't have the mechanisms and the ability to handle your previous dose of heroin. You inject, you die. Or you snort, you can die. And with the laced drugs in it, you can even have more problems. So we see that. And um, any family member, now remember, addiction is is a family disease. Any family member that struggles with an individual um, that is either using a little bit of drug or about ready to transition themselves from dependency into addiction, use for harm, should have a very, very um, uh, insightful uh, intervention, non-threatening, motivational, uh, and a discussion at a deep Um, heartfelt level with anybody you're worried about because the risk of death is is pretty high another thing you should have available if you think that you have a household at risk or a relative at risk is intranasal uh, naloxone or that's narcan that reverses opioids it's available now you can ask your uh, physician or you can uh, actually, uh, you can call law enforcement uh, in certain communities. You can call um, uh, the uh, CDC. You can call a number of agencies, and they can direct you to resources where you can get these little uh, units where uh, if uh, a overdose occurs, a family member can squirt that stuff in the nose, and you can reverse it and save their life. Firemen are starting to carry these. Police are starting to carry them. Um, I've used Narcan for years. I've reversed a number of either iatrogenic or or induced overdoses on the anesthesia side of my practice and those uh, when I was a paramedic uh, in the field. Uh, It's rapid, and it does save lives. Okay. All right. While we're on the topic of the brain, I, want, I got another question about, uh, in a d- indirect way, about what is central amplification disorder? <clears throat> well, what in the world is that? Central amplification disorder is a term I've been throwing around since the mid-90s um, 
that explains a lot of pain states. Um, you know, this will be a podcast someday, but it's a syndrome. It's not a disease. Central amplification disorder uh, is changes in the brain state and the way the brain processes pain that makes little things that normally wouldn't hurt hurt. And the term for that is allodynia, but that's not what's important. What is important is what is going on. Well, we're, we're thinking inside out as opposed to outside in. Remember, pain inside out, not from outside, okay? So it's not the muscle pain of fibromyalgia. It's not the outside. It's the inside out. It's a peripheral manifestation of a central nervous system disorder. It can, it can occur with shoulder pain, knee pain, the low back pain, headaches. It can, the, the list goes on and on. TMJ, irritable bowel. Uh, but think, think the model of fibromyalgia, widespread pain, that's not really clearly uh, understood. Or, or Why is this happening? Uh, we don't know what triggers it. it. It might just be an increased sensitivity in certain individuals. PTSD, stress, uh, uh, it could be from trauma. But the point is you're going to manage symptoms. All right, so when you're managing these symptoms, you're going to look at medications that were non-traditional uh, to pain. These medications uh, have evolved now to be uh, first-line treatment, the gabapentinoids, the uh, Lyricas, the Neurontins, the um, Graylises of the uh, of the world. Um, these drugs work very, very well on central amplification disorder. You also look at things that can, can manage other symptoms. So if you have um, uh, intractable headaches, there are different types of medications that work there, the topamaxes or topiramate, uh, some of the other medications uh, um, that uh, uh, are usually non-traditional um, but now topiramate's labeled for headaches. Uh, we also think stimulation. Um, the stimulation episodes go back to some of the earlier podcasts, but failed back syndrome, um, failed neck syndrome, even headaches, we use uh, uh, stimulation. And it can work pretty well. So what is central amplification disorder? It's when something hurts that shouldn't hurt, but we're thinking inside out as opposed to outside in. Tends to be re uh, resistant to narcotics. People that have this type of problem do seek narcotics because they want the relief. A narcotic will also have that mu receptor activation of, of euphoria. The mu receptor uh, antidepressant that we talked about earlier. It just makes you feel better, and you don't have to wait for the traditional antidepressants to work, and some don't. All right, next question. How do I manage two types of pain? I have neuropathy, and I have osteoarthritis. What am I going to do? All right, well, there's a concept of the nociceptor. A nociceptor is normal if it hurts. There's two types of relevant nociceptors for us. There's A-delta, fast electric-type pain, Stub your toe, wow, that hurts, okay? And the later, dull, aching, throbbing pain, the C-fiber nociception. That's your kind of diffuse pain in your gut, bone bone break, bone hurt. Well, what, what we do is we, we look at 
the two types of pain and see how we can merge them into one commonality. Neuropathy, as I alluded to earlier, is uh, a, a resistant type of pain that involves nerves. It's, um, it might be from um, damage to the nerves. Um, it might be from diseases, drugs, injury, toxins. The point is you, you've got nerve problems. Neuropathy is uh, either a mononeuropathy, like a diabetic neuropathy uh, in a localized area, or a polyneuropathy, a diabetic neuropathy in, in more than one area, or it's uh, uh, autonomic, uh, which is beyond the discussion here, um, but that's in the uh, automatic nervous system. And uh, there they're going to be treated very similar again, inside out. We're going to use gabapentinoids. Uh, we're going to sometimes use topical medications resistant to narcotics. We're careful. But we uh, also have this symphony of pain that is stimulated by the osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis is really an inflammatory uh, condition. It's common to joints. I think we all have heard of it, but it's it's it has to be positioned away from another type of problem called rheumatoid arthritis. That's a different kind of pain, a different kind of diagnosis, and a different kind of therapy. Let's talk that over with your physician. Make sure that you're, you're, you're excluding what you need to exclude and getting the correct diagnosis. Rule one, the correct diagnosis. All right, so um, we're going to treat them both uh, with uh, thinking inside out as opposed to outside in. But in the case of the joints, you, know, you do have a, a pain that is osteoarthritic in nature, and it's outside pain. And it is more responsive uh, to opioids or to the tramadol that we talked about earlier. Uh, so that's probably a good, pretty good start. Um, as far as NSAIDs go, well, that's fine. Under the watchful eye of a well-informed care provider. But I, just this week, uh, revealed somebody... In my practice, it was taking 10 uh, Aleva Day. Uh, that's a brand name for naproxen. It's over the counter. Uh, well, <laughs> that is a setup for uh, gut problems, which he had, uh, renal problems, which we're checking, and for liver problems, which we're checking. You can't take those drugs. He's been doing it for a year. He just didn't think it was important to tell me. But mixed in there are these powders, these anti-inflammatory powders that he was taking. No wonder he had a terrible gut pain and had trouble sleeping because of it and had to take medicine for his gut. So he's marching off to his primary care physician. We're going to get this under control. Okay, I'm going to pretty much uh, wrap it up here. I have a number of more uh, questions we're going to get to in this Q&A. But I'm going to leave you with the thought today. Uh, this is from Ralph Waldo Emerson. And I like to put some thoughts in my folks' heads that um, all is for the good. And what we're trying to do is improve quality of life and function. So, you know, quit looking in the rearview mirror. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. We all have the strength to get past this stuff. And I believe in you.
And I believe that uh, most uh, conditions, if not all, can be put in a better place. So let's get there.